Let's pray. Lord Jesus, grant us grace to see thee present in thy holy word. Give us grace to imitate thee now and be pure as pure art thou. That we might become like thee, Lord Jesus, at thy great epiphany and may praise thee ever blessed. God and man made manifest. Amen. There are a lot of ways to go with the wedding at Cana, to preach it, to interpret it, to the the paths to go down. There's so many readings to pick from. The Old Testament reading will help us to understand the wedding at Cana. There's also another Old Testament reading that could help us to interpret the wedding at Cana. But also... The saints of old who put together this uh, lectionary, they chose this day to be the day that Ephesians 5 is in the lectionary. Uh, So who here at your wedding had Ephesians 5 be one of the reading, one of the readings? All right, we got one, two, all right? All right, here now that no, at my wedding, we did not do this one. We actually picked the one about how uh, God is love. So, anyways, uh, that one was, of course, picked for today because it's about weddings. And usually they would preach about weddings. The gospel reading, in it, we find Mary invited to a wedding. Jesus invited to a wedding. Uh, If you could imagine, um, well, historically, most in Eastern uh, tradition, they believe that this was St. John's wedding, all right? St. John, the one man, or sorry, the young man that Jesus loved. The West, they usually think it was Simon Peter, uh, because they're obsessed with uh, Simon Peter, all right? And so anyways, long story short... I'm going to interpret this wedding as Mary was invited to a family member's wedding, all right? And the family member's son was John. Uh, For we know that John, James and John, were cousins of Jesus, all right? And so basically, Jesus is at his cousin's wedding. Now, Little did the bride and groom know, but more so in this time, the parents who were paying for it, little did they know that Jesus not only was a rabbi, but he was a popular rabbi. And he had 12 friends that were going to come with him to the wedding. All right. And, um, you know, does that mean that that is why they ran out of wine? All right. I don't know. It's not in the text. All right. But we do know that Mary brought the problem to Jesus. All right. So maybe mom was like, hey, you brought all these guys with you to the wedding and there's no more wine. I'm just I'm just telling you. okay. so anyways, 
by Jesus' mere presence at the wedding. All right, he is blessing marriage, right? I don't know how many people have heard something like this. I don't, like, maybe just in the last couple years, but maybe over the course of the 20th century, as you got closer to the 2000, etc. Have you ever heard something like this? Marriage is just a human institution created by people, etc. All right? Well, if you haven't heard it, it's out there, all right? People say things like, I don't need to get married, it's just a piece of paper, right? And so you might ask yourself, if it's just a piece of paper, why don't you just go get it, right? But we don't have to because here Jesus is at this wedding because marriage is good. Jesus is blessing marriage once more because he is the author of marriage. He is the designer of marriage. He is saying a committed or marriage is a committed vow before God between a man and a woman, specifically one man and one woman. And so never again can we say that Jesus condemned all of, you know, human religious traditions and ceremonies. No, he in fact rejoiced in them, in some of them. And let me tell you, he makes marriage better. Regardless, what I want to focus on in the beginning is how Mary brings her worries Mary brings her anxieties and her problems to Jesus. And this is a good habit to have. Because Jesus has become the head of this household. If Joseph was still alive, Mary would probably have gone to Joseph and said, Hey, we're out of wine. But in this moment, Mary has once again become the model for all Christians. She exemplifies perfect submission to Jesus as spiritual head of her life. She brings her anxiety and her worry to Jesus, and she lets him worry about it. And then she does what he says. Take her advice to heart. Do everything that he tells you. Take this to heart. The wedding at Cana and Christ's blessing of that wedding points to, reveals, as an epiphany about marriage. Jesus is, yes, it, well, he, it, you know, it sounds like it, right? He's firm with Mary. He says, woman, what does this have to do with me, right? I don't know if, you know, any of your sons have ever called you woman, all right? I pray not. You know, some people say that's just how they talked back then, and we just don't understand it. Um, But what I want to point us to is that soon, so Jesus is at this wedding, soon Jesus is going to do what all men and all women who are called to marriage must do. Leaving mother, leaving father, to cleave to their wife, to their husband, all right? And in this case, Jesus is soon to be betrothed to his wife, the church. But his hour had not yet come. And in the Gospel of John, what that means, 
His hour is when he is on the cross. Because on that cross, when his hour comes, he will be squeezed out in the winepress of the cross and the living water of the word made flesh. If you remember when he was talking to the woman at the well in John 5, when he talks about how he is the living water, his word, him being the word made flesh, that will be turned to the wine of his blood. Specifically, his blood offered up and poured out for you. And then water and blood will flow from his side. And so that life-giving, sin-washing, forgiving blood of Christ offered up and poured out for you, for his bride, the church, is the miracle here. At that moment... Jesus looked down from the cross, and if you can remember, in the Gospel of John, he'll once more call his mother woman. But he'll say, woman, behold your son. Because a man must leave his mother and cleave to his wife. And a mother must, and this is hard, a a mother must offer up her son so that he may give up His very self, not for her, but for his bride. And that's what marriage is. And that's a huge part of the human story. Is this pain a grief almost, right? I love my mom, but now I'm to take care of my wife. My mom loves me, but she can't be all up in my business. I need to run my household. And care for my household first. Thanks be to God we still have. Honor thy mother and thy father. I am still bound to honor and protect and provide for my parents. Especially as they grow older. And this circle of life is complete. Because they cared a lot for me and still do. And I'm only beginning to learn a little bit of how much they've cared for me by caring for my own child. But the scripture today, it tells us that marriage is no longer a mystery. And so when you hear this Ephesians 5 reading or read it in the Bible, one reaction could be to get spooked and to kind of like lock up. All right. But the more that you read it and reread it, the more it can be a blessing as it is. Because the apostle is literally writing that a mystery, the mystery of mysteries, marriage, why do we do it the way we do it? Why are the sacrifices that must be made? Why are they made? Why is it so hard? It's all revealed in epiphany in Jesus Christ. The reality of marriage, the mystery, is that it's always been about Jesus Christ laying down his very life for his church in unconditional love. And what that looks like is the church then submitting to him what he says, what he does, and the church then enjoying his life that he's given to her, enjoying his love 
enjoying his protection and enjoying the order that he brings. And so, yes, a wife submits to her husband. She, in her freedom as a Christian, gives herself to her husband. And in the marriage ceremony, that's supposed to be a beautiful thing, lovely. Because this is the man that you trust, that you love, that you're willing to submit to. You're giving yourself to your husband to have the final say in important decisions. And then to support him and trust him. Because he is your husband and he loves you. The wife would let him have the responsibility to protect, to guard, to bring order. And here's the hard part. She does this even if her husband isn't perfect. Why? Because she's practicing for the perfect one who is unseen, and his name is Jesus. And she does this only out of love And out of her Christian freedom, she doesn't have to do this, but out of her Christian freedom, she chooses to in Christ. The husband is to love his wife the same way that Jesus does. And that's what makes it hard. Because the husband must lay down his life for her. He must cover up her failures. He must endure her hurtful words said in anger. And he must do this even if his wife is not perfect because he himself is submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of his life, imitating him who has given up his life to take away his sins. And that's basically what Ephesians 5 is saying. It used to be a mystery It used to be shrouded in unspoken um, resentments and angers about how the way things were. But now we know in Jesus Christ, it's actually about unconditional love. So here is the, the law preaching of the sermon. All right. Your life will instantly improve if you love your wife. Your life will instantly improve if you forgive your wife no matter what, if you cover her shame and her failures, if you make sacrifices for her. And I'm sure you know that. And so also, please know, your life will immediately improve if you begin to trust your husband to make decisions, if you support him. To both husbands and wives, if you never again joke about your spouse, if you begin to speak well of your spouse to others, to him, to her, Jesus will radically improve your life. Because both of you are redeemed. You're redeemed by Jesus. You are bought at the price of Christ's precious life. And that means you're at peace with God. And to return again to this idea, you are both free in Jesus Christ, right? So those words, 
in Christ, there is no male nor female, no slave nor free, no Jew nor Gentile. That is true of you. You are completely free in Jesus Christ because he bought you at a price. And so invite that assurance of who you are before your father. Invite that peace into your relationships. Invite it into your relationships to change how you speak and act. And your life will be blessed. Also, knowing that not everyone here is married, I also wanted to also include some what's in it for me for those that are not married. So basically, young men, if you'd like, write a letter to your mom about all the things that you like about her and all the things you appreciate. You might even keep this letter forever and come back to it and change it. And look for those qualities in a woman. And don't settle for anything less. To the young women of our congregation, write a letter to your dad. Thank him for everything that made you feel loved and safe. Look for those things in a husband and settle for no one less. Because God has been preparing you your whole life for this sacred institution of marriage. This applies to anyone who is not married. If you have lost your husband or lost your wife, take heart. You commune alongside them with the Lord Jesus Christ each Sunday. You will see them again. He will raise them from the dead and you will be with them and Christ forever. Jesus asks that you share your pain and grief with him and let him carry it for he is well acquainted with grief. But in all of this, John writes that that day at the wedding at Cana, Jesus manifested his glory And his disciples believed in him. Even holy, righteous Moses, if you remember from the Old Testament reading, even holy, righteous Moses was not allowed to see God. He instead, and yet we, with the disciples, get to see God. And that's the unique blessing that we sometimes skip over. That all those faithful people of old who were great guys, great girls, they wanted to see God, but they couldn't. And now, in the Lord and man, Jesus Christ, we see God in his fullness the way he wants to be seen. And that's why it's good to have images of Jesus in your home, to have crucifixes on your walls, to set them as your phone screen, because that's God. We get to see glory himself, or the glory of God himself made visible, but also lovable and huggable in Jesus Christ. 
Something interesting about the Old Testament reading is that it says that God him or God said to Moses, you can only see my backside as I pass by. All right. And Luther gets a lot out of this for he says that the fullness of the love and the mercy of God is on full display in the smallest parts of himself that we can see. And the lowliest display of God is Jesus Christ dead on the cross. Yet that is where we see the fullness of God. How about that? Jesus on the cross is where we see the groom, the husband we should be, laying down his life for his bride. Could I do that? For my wife, I bet you could by the strength that Christ gives you. Because there we see his forgiving blood, once life-giving water, shed for you. Jesus is the model for us all. But don't worry, he died for you so you don't have to. You get to live forever with him. And so, like Mary, approach the throne of his cross, which is in this place, our altar. Approach Jesus with your worries and your troubles and your grief. Bring them to him in prayer and leave them there. When you come up for communion, bring those things and leave them here. And he will give you and pour out his life-giving, forgiving blood. He will take those things that you've left him, bring them into himself, cover them, swallow them, put them to death once and for all, and you will leave forgiven and set free. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.